You're allowed to do that. Yeah. Especially Jesus, friend of sinners. Amen? <clears throat> Whether we're really outcasts of bad people that got saved or very religious bad people that got saved. doesn't matter. need to get saved. Amen? Oh, that was kind of weak. You need to get saved. Amen? Amen. Okay. I have more than 20 convinced. This is good. While back, a while back, a, what? What are you laughing at? While back, a, a new family a, a, a joined our church, came to our church, and we noticed them. We were glad that they're here. I've mentioned them once at least, and tried to uh, introduce you a bit. And then um, the individual involved, uh, uh, David, uh, felt called to ministry, or he was actually finally gave up resisting. That's probably a good way to put it. And uh, wanted to go as an intern, and because he is in the military, he could take his window. They are supplying his uh, support for a six-month internship. Now, what pastor would pass that up? It's free. So I said, okay. And so uh, David uh, Clower is going to be sharing this morning uh, because uh, we've been talking about Grace Illustrated and uh, God's ability to rescue and... He is a, an individual who was rescued by the grace of God. A few weeks back in one of our staff meetings, Derek said, we ought to hear from David. And I said, okay. And so I wanted to hear from him first, just to make sure it wasn't like, hey, you know, I became a Mormon and it really has changed my life. I didn't, I didn't want anything off the, off the reservation. And when I heard his testimony, I went, oi, yeah, we should. So David, why don't you come up here as he's coming um, I want to tell you a story. When I first got called to ministry, I was asked in my church to speak at prayer meeting. I totally froze. I think I babbled a bit. People in the church were so gracious. They kind of reminded me of Marty's mom in Back to the Future after she heard her. Marty, that was very interesting music you were playing, you know. They were really kind to me, and uh, I know he's nervous, so be really kind, okay, as our brother shares his story and the word together today, okay? Let's welcome David Clower. Yes, it is. All right, is there, can everyone hear me? All right, very good. Outstanding. All right, go ahead and turn that down. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Get a little reverb. have it done for me. Shame All on right. me. All right, thank you. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, guests, visitors. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much. I uh, especially want to give a uh, special thanks to uh, Pastor John, his wife, Derek, and your lovely wife as well. I also want to give a, a special thank you to my mother and father. They could not be here today. Um, they are down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, where the uh, weather is actually not bipolar. So... Um, <laughs> But hopefully, hopefully that the uh, upcoming week they'll actually be able to hear it because my mom has spent 30 years, 30 years praying that one day I would stay in here. So, thank you. And it's been a, uh, it's been a very difficult journey. It really, truly has. And uh, I know it's odd seeing a tattooed man with the military trying to uh, hold back tears. I'm sure I'm going to hear it from my friend 
Corey, who came here all the way from West Point, or Cornwall, if I will, sorry. You guys pay your taxes. Good for y'all. Um, and they came here to support me. And, you know, I sat there and I thought about that. You know, the brotherly love that we, that we share. And I, and I sat there and I thought all the way back as I was standing there, people were asking me, are you nervous? Are you nervous? I'm not nervous because I know I'm going to be sharing the Word of God and what He has done. But what I am nervous about is that it may not resonate with some people. And that's what I'm nervous about. So, I say that to say this. People come to support. And sometimes we don't support our fellow Christians. Sometimes we don't support the lost. And we are wrong for that. It's just like the, uh, the song that we just sang. God, help us break our hearts with what breaks yours. So, with that being said, I'm going to ask that you turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. I'll be reading the Scripture of 45 and 46. As you turn, I will say this, that I'm going to give you somewhat the end credits of my life before I dive into my story. And you're probably scratching your heads and going, um, I don't, that kind of doesn't make sense. Well, I'm giving you the end credits of my, the end of my life before I became a Christian. So, when everybody has uh, turned to that passage of Scripture, I'm going to ask that you join me in the standing of the honor of God's Word. Please. Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. It says, verse 45, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is the evil from his mouth, speaks from that which fills his heart. And hear this, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I'm going to say that, I'm going to read that. Verse 46, if you will, please read it with me out loud. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Wow. That hits. That hits home. And that hits home because before I even became a Christian, I grew up in a Christian environment, and I used to sit there and judge people because I was afraid that I was being judged. All right. I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then we'll begin my story. Lord, I come to you today as a broken man, as humbled for the mere fact that I'm able to stand behind this pulpit and share your word. You and I both know that I should not be here multiple times. And I just ask that you just break me down. And allow me to share my testimony. And allow me to just speak through your scripture. And hopefully, Lord, hopefully I can just reach one. That one out of the 99. Lord, thank you so much for allowing everyone to gather here in the house of, the house of worship. 
Lord, thank you so much and speak through me. Lord, you know that I battled a very emotional week. Lord, just take that from me and allow me to focus on why I'm here. Lord, thank you so much. And all of God's people said, Amen. All right, so, yeah, please be seated. My apologies. My apologies. So, before I dive into this, I have a, uh, I have this big, this big book that my, that my grandmother sent me, and it is the Jeremiah Study Bible. And with verse forty-five, the uh, the notes say, one of the best ways to tell what is in someone's heart is to observe what comes out of that person's mouth. And that takes me back to this prior Wednesday whenever I was sitting at a youth group, Taming the Tongue. We spoke on that. And with that being said, Pastor Tim, he goes, I'm going to write on a uh, whiteboard. And I want you to propose what's the first word that comes out of your mouth with Christianity, with the Christian religion. And I sat there and I was observing everyone else, and I said, well, I'm going to be a little brave, and I'm going, to, I'm going to say this. And I said, cannibalism. And he looks at me, and he's like, whoa, that was heavy, first one, whoa, right? And he goes, he goes, why is that? And I said, because Christians eat their own. Do we not? And I sat there, and I reflected all the way back to the time that I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. Twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, and then Monday through Friday because I was in a Christian prep school. And I watched. It was like it was a safari. Just people just being preyed upon. And I was one of them. I was one of them. So it goes on to say within the notes, it says, especially in times of stress or difficult." Difficulty. How a person speaks in unguarded moments says a great deal about his or her spiritual life. Let that marinate for a second. We are so we are so afraid because we don't know how to deal with difficult times sometimes. So whenever someone comes through the doors, they're like, you know what? I can't deal with myself, so I'm gonna lash out on that person. I'm gonna break them down so I'm no longer alone. So then it goes on to say with the, uh, the ad lib for 46, it says, To call someone Lord is to acknowledge that person's authority. To call someone Lord and then disregard that person's instructions is to live as a liar and a hypocrite. With that being said, I went and did a little bit more research, and I will end this. To let it resonate, and I will, t- I will tell my story. The only time the word hypocrite is spoken in the Bible is through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one out of the Bible who uses the word hypocrite. That hit home to me. Why is our Lord Jesus Christ the only one that is saying hypocrite? So the title of my message today is called Embrace Your Scars. 
As you can see, I have plenty. So, I sat there this morning and I struggled with what I was going to wear to bring this before you. And I almost got sick to my stomach because I was afraid of what I should wear to read from these. It's very unfortunate. But that's unfortunately the nature of the beast that we live in. Even whenever we walk through these doors. So I say that to say this. I have a... uh, I like poetry. Corey, don't you judge me. (laughs) Speaking on judgment. But I feel that with poetry, we're allowed to escape reality sometimes. The poem is called Battle Scars. It is a secular poem. I'm going to go ahead and disclaim that. It is by a woman by the name of Emma Sawyer. And it goes a little something like this. Battle scars, this is for you. My body is scarred. It has been for years now. They are still fresh as the day they formed. Each one showing how to survive a little longer in the world. They are worn daily just to show you're alive. Every time you look down, the scars, those battle scars, flare up like diamonds in the light, showing all dimensions of perfection fresh on the skin. The human being without scars is a heart without a beat. It is our statement piece. Defining us into being a warrior we must become. Yet we wallow in self-pity, craving attention to heal the wounds. Our scars stand by us when all else fails, showing the darkness behind each soul, giving light to a person we thought we knew. They are all over my face, screaming the words nightmare, pleading for pride. Each sting like the wasp's fear They hurt to remind you they haven't gone. Never will they settle down beside your soul in peace. Battle scars, those battle scars, bleed out, shriek out, wail out for acceptance, which is denied by our lives. Make a soldier out of me. Wear my battle scars with courage. Let them taunt my name in disgust. They can shine whenever they want to, but it won't stop me. Let them be my sole companion for life. This life is now mine. Some powerful words. Powerful words. So, my story begins June 26, 1987, Jacksonville, Florida. I grew up on two acres in the suburbs of Jacksonville. I grew up on the west side of town, which was known for prominent uh, violence, gangs, drugs, and murder. But fortunately, I grew grew up on the uh, countryside. It was a dead-end road. There was a cow pasture at the end. My mother, she is from Columbus, Georgia, My father, I'm pretty sure he is from Mississippi, or he'll correct me a week later and say, no, son, I was born in Titusville, Florida. But either way, 
I still have a hard time remembering his birthday. It's probably one of the most difficult ones my wife can attest. She always reminds me. But that's neither here nor there. But my family is very strong in their southern roots. I grew up below the Bible Belt. Everywhere you went, everyone sat there and said, Oh, bless you. God be with you. If you don't have anywhere to go, you can come to our church. It was a way of life. So, my mother, she raised me in the church. Even whenever I was in her belly, I I grew up in the church. I was with her in her belly whenever she sang in the choir. And then whenever I was born on June 26th, very first thing, I was in church. very first person I ever knew was from the church. And to this day, Mother, I thank you. I remember growing up and I remember being a little different because I didn't have very many friends. The only friend I had, he, he unfortunately is in, uh, in prison. Life without parole for murder. He was the only other person I knew. My family is not very close. The only time we ever see each other is on the days that someone has either passed away or we're just passing through. Like I said, I was an only child. I grew up on two acres. The only thing that I knew was just playing by myself. I didn't know how to socially develop with people. So, as soon as I started becoming around people, I was a little different. My mother, she took me everywhere. My father, to this day as a father, I understand why he did what he did. He was a firefighter. He worked 24 hours straight and then 48 hours off. But my mother insisted that I would go to a Christian prep school. So, growing up in a double-wide trailer, that's what he did. He worked himself to the bone. Went and found odd jobs while he was a firefighter. Never really got to see him. It's fine. So, never really had a father figure. Um, Dad, I know this is going to be a little hard to hear whenever you listen to this, but it's okay. I want you to know that. So, here I am growing up. Christian church, not really associated with people. Started didn't fit, I really didn't fit in. Kids remembered me because, guess what? The kids that I went to school with, I would see at church. I would see at children's church. Ah, that's Dave. He's weird, man. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Well, we'll just sit there and call him names, but guess what? Come Sunday school morning, guess what? Hey, what's up, Dave? How's it going? Do you want to come in our prayer circle and hear about Veggie Tales? Dating myself, but it is cool. All right, so, do you want to come listen to Veggie Tales? Hey, guess what? I'm going to see you tomorrow, right? Guess what? I'll see him tomorrow. Don't know you. So, guess what? That seed was planted. Got it. I remember that. So, I started developing a little distaste for it. The more I grew up, the more I started resenting the church. Guess what? I was still judging them too, wasn't I? Because I didn't know what was going on. So, here I go. Growing up, I was the black sheep of the family. It's fine. I own that too. So, I became the black sheep of the family because I was the first one that uh, pretty much denounced, I don't want anything to do with the church. Down south, that is that's bad. I'm just going to tell you right now. Oh my goodness, he is denouncing the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I'm going to pray for him. Guess what? My name got brought up every single dinner table. Every single holiday supper. That's right, I said supper. It's okay. 
So, here we go. Fast forward a little bit. I end up convincing my mother, guess what? I do not want to go to Christian prep school anymore. She said, that's fine. So, I went to a, uh, a junior high, public. Didn't even make it half the year. <laughs> Didn't even make it half the year. Which is fine, because I ended up getting in a fight, and thank goodness I won. But, <laughs> or at least that's my version of the story. But, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie behind the pulpit, but... <laughs> so, I won. But as soon as my mom found out, I went to a new Christian prep school. So, here I go. I'm in Christian prep school. <clears throat> Would you know it? That I lost my virginity at the Christian prep school during school. Wow. Let's talk about it. That's crazy, right? Just because we go to a Christian prep school doesn't mean we're in a Christian environment. So, here we go. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Christian prep school, woo right? So, anyways, carry on. Now, I leave that Christian prep school. I go to the uh, previous Christian prep school. I end up befriending a kid. He was like, dude, he's like, I can't stand these people. I was like, dude, who are you telling me? I can't stand them either. <clears throat> so, he and I start hanging out. He introduces me to uh, the uh, lifestyle that I've always wanted, acceptance. With that time, uh, by the time I could even graduate high school, I was already affiliated with Bloods. They were prominent on my side of town. But I found acceptance, and that's all I ever wanted. Now you ask yourself, what is a pretty white boy like you joining Bloods? Well, guess what? This pretty white boy had a lot of anger and resentment, and I needed to get it out. So, I wanted to earn their respect. I earned their respect. Then all of a sudden they said, you know what? We can use you. We can use you to make more profit. Because guess what? The most most prominent buyer of uh, cocaine is suburban white people. Guess what? They're not going to be afraid of me whenever I show up and go, <clears throat> you want some Coke? You know? So, guess what? I sold it. Made a lot of money. Found a lot of acceptance. So the first scar I ever received was towards the uh, Christian people, even though I grew up in their, in their environment. So there's my first scar. So... The more I sold the drugs, the more money I had. And guess what? I loved money. Because guess what? My family didn't have a lot of it. But I was very good. I became a chameleon. Parents had no idea. <clears throat> so I said, well, you know what? I graduated. got my high school diploma. Thank goodness it wasn't a GED. But it is what it is. Because that's definitely what my father thought I earned. You got your GED, right? No, I got a high school diploma. So, I move out. I end up getting a, uh, ended up renting a two master bedroom, two master bath, fireplace condo on the beach. My father's friend, he was a firefighter, had a lot of money. I was able to afford that. My parents thought that I earned it because I was working for one of his friends who owned a landscaping law maintenance business. Well, my parents had no idea what I was doing on the side. 
They just thought, well, he's going he's to have enough to just afford this. He loves surfing. He's a good kid. He's not that bad. He has a few bumps and bruises. Well, guess what? They had no idea what was underneath the surface. So <clears throat> I end up moving in. And I said, you know what? I'm going to clean it up a little bit. Dad, I want to be like you. I want to go to firefighter school. So I went to firefighter school. But you better believe it. I failed out. I would sit there and I would work all day with the landscape, landscaping company. I would end up finishing. I would go to the school. And on my way from the college, I would sit there and sling coke. Just to sit there and make more money. <clears throat> so... I ended up uh, getting really bad off on, I was getting high on my own supply. I would sit there and I would drive. I would sit there and hit lines. It would get so bad to the point that I wouldn't be able to catch a high, so I would have to sniff a little water for it to be able to catch the drugs I was sitting there residing within, within my nose. For me to be able to catch it, that's how bad, I off I, bad off I was. I now have a deviated septum from it, but that's fine. That's my other scar. So I ended up falling in love with ink. I love the bad boy image. I wanted to be a bad boy. The only thing that I have yet to learn how to do that hopefully my wife will be able to teach me is how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> so that's the only thing I have yet to learn how to do. Um, so I ended up meeting this girl. She and I kind of hit it off a little bit. And... Uh, she kind of took me down a little bit darker path of how to feel like you love someone, but you really don't. You love what they're able to offer. And I had money. She loved that. So, one day, I ended up getting so high on my own supply that I was able to uh, do a complete eight ball by myself. And guess what? That still didn't affect me. So I needed more. So I got more. And before I knew it, I had ran out of my own money. I had to sit there and beat myself up to the point that my parents thought I got mugged. Because I was working another job as a waiter. I had to sit there and cover my stories more and more and more and more and more. So I covered that story. My parents were like, what's going on with you? I said, well, you know, I got beat up and I lost all my money. And they said, you need to come home. And I said, well, that's cool. Whatevs. Can't afford this place anyways. So I went home, still seeing this girl, and one day my mom asked me, what are you doing with your life? I said, I don't know. She's like, well, obviously you don't want to go to college. So long story short, I ended up enlisting in the military. United States Army as a military police officer because my mom didn't want me to do infantry. This was during with the uh, Iraqi surge, and she was like, I don't want you to die. And I was like, well, why do you have me join during the Iraqi surge? This doesn't make sense. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. But... <clears throat> Little did she know that the military police were kind of like infantry, but we got to drive Humvees. Death before dismount is our uh, motto. Well, let me tell you, you do dismount. So here I go. I end up uh, still dating this girl. She ends up cheating on me while I was in basic. She ends up cheating on me while I'm in Korea. We still end up getting married because I'm finally earning my father's respect. Dad, this is going to be a little hard to hear. So I apologize. I ended up marrying this girl because I wanted his approval. I wanted to be his best friend. He and I started being able to create that bond because I joined the military. June 26, 
right before I deployed, my father and I got a tattoo. It says ASNF right here. Another scar. A son never forgets. You're right, a son doesn't forget. And I'm still, still dealing with that today with my own son. So, <clears throat> I end up deploying. Still living a life of adultery because, guess what? I'm getting back at my, uh, my newly, newly wedded wife because she cheated on me. And I guess what? That really set with me that I really don't know how to love. I really don't know how to receive love. So here I am in Iraq. My grandfather dies. My best friend gets uh, stabbed to death. So I'm sitting in my chew. And I can't take it anymore. I'm done. Friends are dying. So I sit in my chew. A chew is a little building with two, root, two beds keeping us out of the elements of Iraq. I sit there. I grab my 9mm. I rack it. I put it to my head and I pull the trigger. It doesn't go off. I rack it again. Discharge that round, put it to my head. I pulled the trigger again. I said, dude, there's something wrong. One more round. Why not? Third time's a charm, right? Put it to my head, pull the trigger, doesn't go. I dropped the magazine, I'd throw it away. I break it. I sat there and I just said, you know what? I'm going to look at these rounds. Guess what? That firing pin is hitting the primer. But it's not going. So guess what? Grab another magazine. Rack it. Put it to my head. I said, I'm doing this. I said, I can't find love. I said, I'm losing people. I don't fit in. So let's go. Let's ride it. My friend walks in, runs and smacks the gun out of my hand and goes, dude, what are you doing? I said, I want it to end, man. I said, I'm tired of hurting. He goes, they're not worth it. They are not worth it. I said, all right, fine. I end up getting help. Finally, I left that old ball and chain and got rid of it. I go to Germany, started, started a new start, right? Why not? Why not Germany, right? Free trip to Europe. Best way to start, start fresh. I'm lost. A girl comes. I see her walking down the hall. She just got back from Afghanistan. I said, wow, she's hot, <laughs> right? She's hot. So she walks up to me. We exchanged words. She stood me up for the first date, but that's fine. <laughs> she and I hit it off. We end up falling in love. We end up having conceiving our daughter. That September of 13, in one month, I'm telling you right now, one month, divorce was finalized, my daughter was born, and I was remarried all in the same month of September 2013. So, I'm like, all right, let's, let's go, right? My, my life's turning around. Nope, I still have yet to resolve a lot of issues. I put this woman through so much, so much. She and I finally leave. We go, to, we go down south below the Bible Belt. I think, oh, sweet baby Jesus, I've got barbecue, sweet tea, and the Confederate flag, right? I'm home again, <laughs> right? Well, this ended up probably being the hardest duty station I've ever had to deal with. I ended up uh, advancing in my career. I became the uh, NCOIC, the non-commissioner in charge of the SWAT team. Guess what? I'm about to start seeing a lot of bad stuff. My family's about to start enduring a lot of stuff. So, here we are. I'm dealing with a lot of things. I'm 
progressing in my career. I don't know how to deal with these things. The only way I'm successful is by being angry. I become addicted to anger. And I became addicted to taking it out on my family. My wife and I didn't see eye to eye. I had to pack up my wife and move them to New Hampshire because she couldn't take it anymore. So, pack them up, ship them off to New Hampshire. I ended up staying in a fifth wheel out at the lake in the middle of the country by myself. My wife starts seeing a little bit of change in me, but I started seeing a really big change in her. She comes back. We start doing counseling at this church. Mind you, I'm still, still not saved yet. And I sit in front of this pastor, and this pastor sits there and tells me, you're head of the household, it's all your fault. And I tell you right now, I lit into him. I lit into him. I started yelling, screaming, cursing. Did not care that I was in a church. I almost went across the table to beat his face in because I could not accept that it is all my fault. I'm like, how in the world are you going to tell me it's all my fault? Well, guess what? My wife sat there. And I was just like, sucks to be you. <laughs> right? So, so here we are. I start seeing a change in her. And one day, she just looks at me and she goes, you know what? It's all going to work out. I said, what Jesus juice are you drinking? And she goes, I'm going to tell you right now. I've given our marriage to God. And I said, well, that's cool. I grew up in the church and I know how it all works. It's all fake. And she was like, what? I said, I'm telling you right now. I said, why do you think I'm so vile? I said, why do you think I cannot stand anything that has to do with the cross? I said, why do you think my mom and I don't get along? Well, because it all started with that one seed. So, this pastor is like, Nick, I don't know what to tell you. This dude's a lost cause. And she, I'm telling you, she literally looked at me. She goes, our marriage is going to make it. And I said, there's no way. Well, one day, we saw this thing called Faith Force, and it really resonated with me. These really big, tough dudes that have really big muscles, and they're all tatted up, and they're all like, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm like, whoa, what is up with you? I said, that's pretty cool. So, long story short, I ended up being saved by the grace of God because my marriage was falling apart. Not for the first time. Not for the second time. But for the third time. This woman has stayed with me. For three times our marriage should have failed. And it was because she sat there and had that blind faith to sit there and say, you know what? God's got you. God's got our marriage. God has our kids. And showed me. <clears throat> I, know that, uh, I know that all of us deal with a lot of things. But I'm going to tell you right now to embrace your scars. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you may feel like you're in a room of 99, but you're always that one to our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read this and end with this. It's absolutely beautiful. My wife introduced it to me, and I now wear it around my neck as a remembrance. It goes a little something like this. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. 
When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand and he noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, There's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. And the Lord said, My son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. God's carried me to this point, to where I stand in front of every single one of you with all my scars, with all my resentment, and with all the disdain that I've had, not only from the previous flock, to the people that I've met, to the places that I've been, He's carried me to this point. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't point the finger, people. Don't point the finger, because you don't know what that second and third order of effect is going to be. No matter what we look like, no matter how we dress, our Lord Jesus Christ says, come as you are. So accept everyone. Don't love their sin, but accept them and say, come, come. Your life is meant for something bigger and better. Thank you. Well, since you're standing, you might as well all stand, and I'll close in prayer. I want to say two things. One, you did better than the first time I ever did. I didn't get a standing ovation. I never get a standing ovation. You're out! I have to make up my mind whether that three attempts was miraculous or providential, but holy mackerel. I think God has preserved him for a reason. Anybody want to guess that that's true? Amen. So thank you for being kind and uh, responding to our brother. And uh, I think he's got uh, a future in the kingdom work and his lovely family too. I'm going to pray. If anyone wants to meet the Jesus he's talking about, see, it's not the church religious (gasps) Jesus that we're all used to. Too many of us are used to that. It's the living Jesus who changes lives. Uh, The altar's open. You can come, find out what it means to become a Christian. Elders and deacons, or deacons and deaconesses, if you notice, and pre-elders, if you notice there's people up here, come up and pray with them, okay? Let's pray together. We give you thanks because the gospel is true, even though the world yells that it isn't. Even though brilliant scientists who have passed away and now know better say that it's nonsense. It's the truth. There is a spiritual reality. There's a kingdom coming. There's a king to be served. 
And there's a king who loves us and wants to save us. And thank you that you're in the business, sometimes graphically saving our lives, but saving our soul and our body as well. Use us for your glory. Lord, put your angels around your people. Would you help us become a gospel-breathing assembly? In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. Be glad to talk.